When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How's the morning? Uh, it's good. Yeah, I'm just busy. I'm just um, yeah, trying to stay on top of a deadline and stuff. For uh, another show? Yeah, I'm working on uh, this Disney show called Owl House right now. Um, yeah, just trying to stay on top of that. Another animal themed one? Uh, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's more for like, it's not really a little kid show. It's like uh, kind of like the same demographic as, I don't know if you know the show I did called Gravity Falls. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's f- more for like teenagers and stuff. It's like this mystery fantasy show. It's really cool, actually. It's, it's really good. But yeah, this is the second season. I'm actually taking over for another composer who had to leave the show. But yeah, it's it's a it's a fun project, and the music, the palette's really fun. So yeah, is that a little easier when the palette's been already been you know established for you? Well, in this case, they didn't. I they wanted me to kind of start fresh. I mean, there's some stuff I'm using, like I'm using some of their some of the like the themes that he'd established, like the the main theme for the show, and then some of the kind of harmonic palette I'm using, but the the sounds and stuff, like the overall template and palette, I've kind of, I'd started from scratch and built my own thing. So, but it is, it's the first time I've done this where I've taken over for someone and it is, it does feel like the pressure is lower for some, for some reason. And I really like the themes that he created. This oh, TJ, I'm trying to remember his name, TJ Hill, I think. Uh, let me just look that up. Yeah. TJ Hill, um, that he created in the first season. So it's fun to work with that. Um, I guess is it a tough balance between you want to make it your own, but you also kind of want to maintain some of the niceties of the palette that he's already established. I didn't worry too much about either of those things, to be honest. I, I kind of just went into it and I mean, they had things that they wanted, but they didn't really ask me to adhere to the season one palette. They, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really think about it in those terms very much. I kind of just went in and I also didn't have a lot of time. So I just started working and it felt like immediately comfortable. And I like immediately fell into a, a, 
you know, a harmonic and a sound palette that that I thought was like cool and sophisticated and and was fun to it was just fun to make to make it. So I didn't really think about it too much in those terms. I just started working on it and, and it felt kind of good, which that's not always the case. Like I just came off of another well, I'm still finishing another project that was a total slog. <laughs> like <laughs> I just I had a terrible attitude about it to be honest. In what sense? It, I I just like I don't want to say what the project was, but uh, yeah, it's a really big project. Um, it's a TV show too, but it's it's a it's a it's one that you will know. It's one that almost everyone knows. And uh, I was brought in. Um, they asked me to come on, like because they knew my work. I was hesitant because I didn't really know how to approach it, but I I felt like well, this is this is a really cool. Uh, I don't know if cool is the right word, honestly, but like, I, it's a big thing and it's like, <laughs> this is a good opportunity and I feel like I shouldn't pass it up. I think I just had a bad attitude. Like I, I never quite figured it out and I wasn't happy about it. I didn't feel like they were doing with the property what I thought they could have done. Like I felt like they could have done so much more with it and they didn't. And that kind of frustrated me, uh, which is, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I had the wrong attitude, but it turned out they were happy with it. I think what I did was okay, not great, but um, I think it'll be fine. It's just, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I've been doing this a long time and I also was like kind of a, yeah, before this project, I, I was kind of ready to take a break because I've been doing this music for animation for a long time, like really hardcore, like just taking everything and having working crazy hours. And I was ready to take a break and just work on my own music. And these projects came up and I was like, well, I really, I really should take these because they're, you know, it's a great opportunity. And, and Owl House is a really cool project. I was excited to do that. But um, so also in my mind, I was like, man, I, I could be working on my own music right now. You know, it's just, a, I don't know. I just had a really bad attitude the whole time. But do you learn anything from it? Do you think? Have you managed to take a lesson from it? Um, from that one, every project I do. I I learn in the sense of it's like mus building muscle memory and building, uh, you know, it's like building muscle, like uh, just the sheer repetition and and the volume of music you need to create uh, builds muscle and it makes you stronger, like and able to more flexible, like able to do more things quickly. So in that sense, it I definitely learned it, but um, learned learned from it, but. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely, I already knew this about myself, but I learned that if you go into something with the wrong attitude, it's not going to be a, a fun. But that's happened to me in the past before too. I, I'm totally often victim to a negative mindset, like where I'm thinking about what I could be doing rather than what I am doing. Um, I don't know. And that was the same thing. And not being like grateful for what I've, I'm working on. Like I have a hugely privileged position to be working on this stuff. And sometimes I'm just like, ah, I could be, you know, I don't know, writing a pop song right now or something, you know, but I just, yeah. I've been doing it for so long. Like I, I'm really lucky to be doing it. And I really, and have a lot of gratitude about it. And it sounds like I don't, but um, <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> I sound like such a jerk right now. <laughs> no, no, no. You were hmm. saying when you took it on though, that you kind of, you intellectualized it in your mind as this is a really good opportunity and something I should do. Did it feel right in your gut though, when you took it on? No. And I, uh, I don't know. I just, I have this Protestant work ethic thing from, I don't know, growing up and like this family where work is like the working hard because you need to work hard is it's like the it's like 
is the thing. It's like, I, um, so I don't often feel, I don't know, just like psychologically, I don't allow myself to, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, like indulge that. Uh, well, is this, should I be doing this? It's not something that always comes into my mind. It's often like the opportunity is there. Take it. You're lucky. You're, yeah, you're lucky to have this opportunity. There are a lot of people who don't have this opportunity. You fucking better do it. You know, I'm saying, I don't know if I can swear, but uh, you know what I mean? It's like, so, and that's, I'm trying to say no more and um, make more space in my life to do things that do feel like the things I should be doing. Uh, I mean, this new Disney, sh- uh, that was one thing where it's like, this is really cool and I, I should definitely do this. Um, I mean, career wise and because it's cool and fun. But yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things in the past where it's like, I don't know, I think about that occasionally. Like maybe I, what if I would have for the past, you know, 15 years or whatever, just stuck to my artistic guns and only done things that, you know, and my gut told me were like really cool. And then I, I'm like, well, I probably wouldn't have a house right now. I probably wouldn't have financial <laughs> security. Um, so I don't know. I'm not, I have a complicated relationship with those things. Like psychologically, I think I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of our artistic integrity. If that, that's what you're getting at. Jink, if you've been in the other position, the one you had followed that kind of gut, you would then be thinking, oh, I wish I'd gone and done the kind of composing for cartoon stuff when that opportunity arose. Do you think whatever you do, you're kind of going to be cursed by wondering, yeah. you know, the grass is always greener type thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, uh, it's, it's t- I, I've been talking a lot with, uh, uh, I have a new friend who we've been working on some stuff together. He's, he's a, compo- or a producer and songwriter more in the pop realm and, a, and a, a publisher as well. And there was a big Disney project he was up for, I don't know, a while ago. And he turned it down because they, <laughs> because he didn't realize that those shows, um, they take your publishing, right? Um, anyways, so he was like, he turned it down because of that. And I was like, well, man, that's just kind of the, that's the way it goes with these things. You know, you give up your publishing side, but you still, um, you do really well because, you know, they show... You're going to get a lot off the back of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we were just... I was talking about what I do and... I don't know. After we kind of talked through it, he was like, wow, I didn't... You know, I should have taken that. Um, and I think I was in a similar position when I first started out. Um, like, kind of looking, looking at all this stuff skeptically, but I kind of didn't have a choice. And I was like, all right, I just have to do this stuff. And, um, I, and I... Again, I'm super grateful for the career I've had, and um, it's been really, really gratifying and exciting. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the grass. I, I guess the other part of that is like throughout my career, the thing I wanted to do from the beginning was be a pop producer, and so he's kind of been doing the thing I wanted to do. And I don't know. I, I after talking with him about it, I and it's made me feel like better about the decision I made. It's like, you know, I actually did well with this. And, you know, if I tried to be a pop producer and really stuck to my guns, like who knows if I would have done well, you know, but I did well at this. So uh, that gives me other opportunities. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You kind of started off in a pop background though, didn't you? I mean, you were working with, was it the Dust Brothers? Well, yeah, I was an assist my, so I went to um, the school called Cal Arts, the California Institute of the Arts, which is, um, this really cool school out here. I met a friend there who had a band. I joined their band. One of those band members was an assistant to one of the Dust Brothers. 
And I inherited that job. So yeah, I, I was an assistant to one of the Dust Brothers, John King. Um, this was like around 2004 to 2007, maybe. Yeah, he was doing... When I was working for him, we did uh, Bex Guero. I got to... I did like a remix for that album. And then um, uh, one of the things I would do for John, for the John King, the Dust Brothers guy, was I would just like sit around and sam- make sample samples from his record collection and just made this huge sample library for him and um they used a lot of the stuff i sampled for that album which is cool um i think my i'm credited as sound designer on that album which is really funny but yeah he, he also did um we did tenacious d pick of destiny movie and i got to write a bunch of music for that movie which was exciting and what else he did a lot of I mean, commercials and stuff and some tv stuff um yeah that i took that job uh with the idea you know that i wanted to be a a kind of a pop songwriter and producer. Um, that was a good experience. I, that was like another, <laughs> so funny, another situation where when I had that job, I was like such a grumpy brat, like just like, ugh, you know, like <laughs> what am I doing here? Like writing, you know, just like, I don't know, like, um, you know, I have a graduate degree in composition. What am I doing here? Like, you know, stuff like just like slumming it. Cause you know, sometimes I get to write music for stuff, but most of the time it's like, take this to UPS, you know, like figure out why my toilet's clogged, you know, all kinds of stuff. And that's just the job, you know, that's how you get your foot in the door. And I just was, you know, entitled, um, and a brat. Um, and in retrospect, you know, that was, it was a great place to start. You know, I was just impatient about my career, you know. Do you find your view kind of often changes in retrospect when you look back like that on periods in your life? I think so. I think I've, you know, like I was saying, I have a really hard time being in the moment often and appreciating what's going on around me. And that's something I really need to work on. So I think freak, I mean, especially like I had like my, my kid, my son was just texting me who's eight. And as I've had, you know, once when he was born, I really worked hard to be more in the moment. And because, you know, time is fleeting when you have a child, like your time with them, it goes so fast. Um, but I think I've gotten a lot better about that. I mean, with the exception of Ha-cha-cha. Or, oh, I just said what this show was. Um, yeah, with the exception of this project, unnamed project that I just worked on for a long time. Um, I'll bleep it out. I'll bleep it. Don't worry, man. It's okay. Thanks. <laughs> um, but no, I've. Uh, oh, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> they won't listen. To, they won't listen because they're um, they're too busy making the show. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, no, I, I that's something I've I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, has having a child kind of changed your perception on other things as well? Like what you're saying there about how it's kind of taught you to, you know, live in the moment. Is there anything else that it's kind of profoundly impacted your working life in that way and your perception of things? Um, oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, cli- it's such a cliche, but it really, for me, it was like, it's the best thing that's happened to me. Not just because I, you know, love this person so much and, uh, care about them so much. It's like, there's so many things in my life that changed for the better just because uh, they had to. Um, and I wasn't like a, hugely dysfunctional person or something. It's just like something as simple as like, now I wake up in the morning instead of waking up in the afternoon. And like, that's, I, I love, I love that, you know, that's so much better. And, you know, I eat differently. I exercise more. Like I take care of myself better. I, you know, I'm more available for my wife, I think, than I was before. I was kind of just like focused on my 
my work. Um, I mean, again, that's something I struggle with still, but, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just like the cliche stuff is like seeing the world kind of through their eyes, like recontextualizes a lot of things and makes you, um, I don't know. There's a lot of things like you're reliving again, like through their eyes and, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, that's it's just been really a great thing. Have you shown him any of your cartoons? Oh yeah, he watches. Um, he's eight, so he's watch. He watches a lot of the stuff I work on. Like he watches the show. He loved Gravity Falls, and I just did the show called We Bear Bears for Cartoon Network that he really loves. And I did this show called Glitch Text. Oh, it came out last year on Netflix for Nickelodeon, and uh, he loves that show. And yeah, and there's stuff I've done where he really doesn't want to watch too so <laughs> but despite being like i mean i have this crazy studio with with tons of instruments all over the place and and i'm doing music constantly all the time like that's all i really do um and he has no interest in music which is funny because i <laughs> you know you hear other you hear other people who have kids his age and they're musicians and like they're so interested in music and because they see their parents do it and uh i, I, I i'm not like i don't really mind i'm actually prefer that he doesn't get super interested and try to be a career musician because it's so difficult but um and it's interesting i don't know yeah he hasn't caught the bug maybe he will later how old were you when you first got into that would you have been a little bit kind of teenage years or were you into his age i pl- i mean i took piano lessons when i was younger i think i was always a little interested in music but i didn't really get into it maybe when i was i think 10 i started playing in like school band and and i got a drum set and started playing in bands and stuff um a little bit after that, but, um, yeah, that's about when I got really interested, 10, 11, 12 around then. But it's funny cause a little while back when we were talking about work ethic, I think you used the phrase Protestant work ethic and you were in, was it not like Christian heavy metal bands growing up as well? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where you pulled that back from, but that's, uh, yeah, that's like my, uh, teenage and adolescent years were, you know, at, were playing in mostly Christian rock and heavy metal bands and stuff mostly listening to like christian rock music and being afraid to listen to like secular music um though i i did like like a lot of you know i remember loving like guns and roses and like nirvana when nirvana came out and metallica and stuff but mostly listening to like christian rock bands and and fugazi like i was really into fugazi when i was in high school and um you know a lot of stuff but um yeah, I was really into like the Christian rock scene. Like in the summers, we would go to this big Christian music festival in central Illinois called Cornerstone, and which was like just the funnest thing ever when I was that age, like because they had a big skate ramp and so I'd skate and like watch all these Christian, I don't know, it was just a really fun vibe. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I was into until like I went to college and got corrupted by CalArt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to, yeah, I went to, uh, I did an undergrad degree in Denver, University of Denver. And, um, that was before Cal Arts. And yeah, I went to a jazz program as a drummer and was like, just kind of crushed because, uh, uh, you know, I came from a small town. I didn't, I played drums like, and percussion and I think I barely got into this school, which was a pretty serious like conservatory program because they didn't have any other drummers. And then I got into the school and uh, was thrown into all of the uh, like the big ensembles because there was no one else like like their big band, which was like this kind of prestigious ensemble at the school. And um, 
was not equipped for that at all. Cause I had not, I would played drums, but I hadn't really studied. Like most people who go to these places, you know, they have taken lessons and gotten their chops together. And I really was not ready. So I, I kind of like, it was a very crushing experience to like, um, like this first year, uh, I, sorry, you didn't ask for any of this, but maybe it's useful to someone, <laughs> but yeah, I w- <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I was in all these ensembles and then the second year, like another drummer showed up and it was like, cool. Like I have another drummer to talk to, but also this person actually could play. So I was demoted to all like the beginner ensembles because I was not ready. And then more drummer, like su- the subsequent years, more drummers would show up and I would, I would never really I never, I, I was getting better and better, but the people who were coming in were actually like very talented drummers. And it was like, okay, all right, I see what's going on here. Like I have some talent at this, but I'm never going to be like, I'd wanted to be like a studio drummer or something. It's like, that's, that's not happening. Um, it was crushing, but at the same time, like through that, I don't know. At some point I discovered this magazine called uh, The Wire. Do you know that magazine? It's like, it's like an experimental music magazine. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I think it's from the UK. Um, but I, that magazine and this, this other, this book called Experimental Music Cage and Beyond was kind of like my, my gateway into composition. And I got really into, um, you know, 20th century music, new music and experimental music. Um, and that's kind of how I got into composition and discovered CalArts. And so, yeah, I had this, this big failure, which kind of led to me finding, you know, what I kind of, uh, was a better fit for me. Um, yeah. It kind of sounds a bit like, have you ever seen Whiplash? It was so much like, when I saw that movie, it was like, <laughs> I lived, I lived that. I, li- I mean, that band, the band leader was very similar to my teacher. Like he never threw a chair at me. It was like, uh, you know, legend in the school that he had actually chilled out recently and no longer threw chairs at people. <laughs> Um, but he, you know, he would curse at me. He would snap in my face. Like the, not my tempo thing was like a real thing for me. Um, it just like that movie was so close to my experience. It's, it's insane. Um, yeah, that movie blew my mind too, because there's the whole philosophical, I get maybe framework of that, of that character is like, he's kicking this guy's ass because if he makes it onto the, if he makes it through, makes it to the other side of of, of his, his, him being demoralized and crushed, then he deserves to have made it to the other side, right? Like, then he, like, if he makes it to the other side, then he's worthy of this music and to be a drummer, right? Which he he did or whatever. Um, and I realized, like, I didn't make it to the other side. Like, I I um I was crushed and I I didn't pass the gates or whatever, you know. And that was like it worked, like being crushed by this educator. I think I still have some psychological damage from it, but um, (laughs) like, you know, career wise and, you know, as a musician, um, I took the right lesson. It was like, or I took the right thing away from it, which was like, I'm not a jazz drummer. I'm not a studio drummer. And I was kind of, I was working pretty hard, like trying to develop my skills. And um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That movie is uh, it was poignant <laughs> for me. It's like that phrase he has, isn't it? More da- no, there are no two more dangerous words in the English language than well done. Right. Yeah. That's an, Is there an element of truth in that? I think so. Uh, and, and that's like, uh, there were times when I was given compliments when I was at that, when I was going through that program and, um, and they, they did kind of buoy me, buoy my spirits and push me forward. 
So I think, you know, it's like anything, there needs to be some moderation. You can't totally have your soul crushed, but, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think about a lot of that, that with, uh, with parenting as well. It's like, you need to give your child encouragement and keep them interested, you know, not like give them enough positivity that they want to keep trying, but you also, it's really important to teach them a good work ethic. And that balance is really tricky. I don't know. I was just taught, like I was saying this, this work ethic in a, a pretty aggressive way <laughs> as a child that I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with that a lot. It's like, I, I want to make sure this, this person do I, that I'm, who's in, who I'm in charge of, like learns the importance of not giving up and working hard. But, um, I don't want to teach him that lesson the way I was taught it. It's it's tricky. But at the same time, the way I was taught it worked really well because I work really hard. <laughs> Too hard, probably. But uh, anyways, yeah. I don't know. Have you figured out how to teach it in a different way? I don't know. I don't like, I think, I don't know. I don't know if anyone wants to hear like a bunch of parenting talk, but I feel like um, <laughs> the kind of conclusion kind of with parenting is like, you have to show as much love as possible and listen. I don't know. And every kid is different too. Um, so I don't know. I only know, I only have this one kid, so I only have one data set. But to me, I'm just like, I try to treat him like any other person. Uh, I try to listen and just show love and gently nudge him. Um, you know, I don't know. That's kind of my philosophy in a nutshell. I don't know if that, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's tricky. I'm still figuring it out. It sounds like there might be some parallels there between the relationship between a director and a composer. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. Um, it is it is interesting, like in this um, this animation stuff, or or you know any like I guess any kind of person who's doing composing professionally or whatever, you work with all these different parents slash directors, producers, showrunners, and they all do have different parenting styles. Like um, some of them are just not aware of of how their words affect you at all. Um, and then there are other people who are really adept at communicating you, with you in a way that is, uh, that's constructive and doesn't, yeah, I actually like sometimes when I work with other composers, like sometimes I'll collaborate with composers and it'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll need to give them feedback and I'll realize that I'm doing it in a way that's not the way I want to receive feedback. <laughs> like, um, like, I, I mean, I, I learned this lesson and I, now I think I, I, I'm pretty good at it, I hope, but, um, it's important to say something positive first <laughs> and then um, frame your, your, cons your constructive criticism in a, in a positive way. Um, Cause creatives, you know, are very sensitive and um, I don't know if I get a bunch of notes and there are no, like, you know, like on Owl House, Dana Terrace, the creator is so good at giving notes. Like she, she compliments the things she likes um, and the things she doesn't like, she never says like this is totally wrong like she's it's always like let's try it this way you know like yeah it's always in the way uh it's the way you say things but um yeah that's inter an interesting parallel parenting and um these directors and showrunners yeah i guess you can't come with that right criticism or else you would because you need it to still be the composer's idea don't you so you can't completely say what's wrong you need to try and just nudge them in the right direction like you yeah said. i mean and and that differs like there are projects, you know, in animation too, there's a lot of parody that happens. Like 
they'll have tempt in thriller by Michael Jackson or something. And that's just what they want. Like they, if they had their money, they would have, they would have licensed thriller. So and that's an, an example where your intention doesn't like your voice and your intention as a composer doesn't matter. And they just want you to replicate that. And there are shows that I've worked on where 90% of what they want is that they want you to just recreate the temp music. And that's very frustrating. And I mean, I've worked with people who are great showrunners and, and really good at communicating, but it was still a very frustrating process because that's all they wanted. They just wanted their temp music. They've already made all the musical decisions for you for the most part. And you're just like recreating the temp music and doing your best to do it in a way where no one gets sued, you know? Um, and that's just not, I avoid those projects uh, as much as I can, but um, you know, that, that's sometimes the job, but. Is that something you kind of face more when you're coming up? Oh, I, I, I don't think so. I think it's something that, um, I think it's just project to project. There are just some projects where, uh, and again, I think maybe this is specific to animation though. I know this happens in features. I don't work in features. So, um, I don't know, but you, you know, you, you see stuff about this, like where, Oh, like, look at this cue. It's exactly like this other cue from this other movie. And you're like, Oh yeah, obviously the director had it tempt in. They just wanted that cue. So this obviously still happens on a really high level. Um, I just think it's, it depends on the, on the director or the project, you know, you used to see it with like Marvel movies and stuff when they first started off. Yeah. Yeah, there's there. Like, what's that guy? There's some YouTuber, right, who makes those videos, and he has yeah, this, I think yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It kind of because you wouldn't notice it when you were watching it, but it, I think it almost gives the film a slight flatness when it's something that you heard before. A lot of these modern scores are kind of homogenous, right? And I wonder if it's just I don't I don't like I don't work in that medium like at all, so I don't know. I know I have a sense of what the workflow is like and stuff, but I wonder, yeah, but I wonder if it's the actual process that makes it like, like that and the way they temp in stuff. And I, I agree though. I think it does give it, it leads to a kind of flatness. Can it ever be tough to find a balance like that in your own work when it comes to, you know, if we think about something like Gravity Falls, where you'll use various kind of recurring themes, but also bring a new music quite late on in the series. Is that a difficult balance to kind of find between something fresh and something that's going to trigger a familiar feeling? Because you can't really go one way too far or the other or else it won't sit right. Again, I think it, also, it depends on maybe how much room the showrunner gives you to be creative and kind of stretch your wings, you know? Um, I, think, I do think that having strong thematic material to work with, in my experience, has been really helpful. Um, and I find once I have that, Sometimes it, it helps me be more creative because you have this foundation, you know, like just having a strong melody, like, I don't know, whatever the, what, like what, say the, um, Imperial March or something like by, you know, first from Star Wars, like you have a strong theme like that. You can do so much with it. Like you don't have to, as you're composing, like <clears throat> you get to your next Darth Vader scene, you don't have to worry about coming up with a theme again. You already have a good scene, good theme. And you can bend it and tweak it and shape it to any theme or any like kind of scenario you have. Um, it like takes part of the, it's part of the process is, is um, already done. Like you have, you have your melodic material and now you, you can use that to, you can reshape that to fit your scene. 
So you're not like starting from scratch. And I find that really like, I don't know, that's really helpful to me, if that makes sense. Does it make it easier to use it like as a narrative device as well? Like you, you, you know, you referenced the Imperial March there. I think to kind of use that as an example as a part in Revenge of the Sith, where before he's turned into Darth Vader, you kind of hear shades of that starting to creep into Anakin's music. And you kind of, the score takes on like a storytelling device now that you've got that. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, that's such a powerful thing, right? Being able to manipulate that musical material to tell the story. It's like, it seems like when you think about it, it's like, man, that must be hard to do that. Like, to take this one melody and then make it fit all these different scenarios. I don't, I don't, I'm just thinking like, I don't know. But as a composer, it's like, it's pretty easy to do that. Like to take one melody and shape it to these different emotions or scenarios. And it's super powerful narratively, I think. And Gravity Falls, actually, like Alex Hirsch, the creator of that show, he only let me use the theme song melody maybe like three or four times through the whole series because he, 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 because he knew how potent it was to use that. He wouldn't let me like weave it in. You know, he, I mean, I would still like kind of refer to it obliquely, but he, he really wanted to save that like stating that theme overtly for really important, you know, whatever plot or structure, you know, just big moments. Um, and that was a powerful move. I felt like it really was like when you hear it, like, oh my God, that's the theme. Like I haven't heard it in <laughs> 20 episodes or whatever. I don't know, but this show Owl House that I'm working on, like I use the theme constantly. I like everything is um, imbued with like the kind of like harmonic language of the theme. And I think that, and it's a pretty specific language. It's Lydian <laughs> and um, mostly some harmonic minor. And then, <laughs> but um, it's such a like distinct and recognizable flavor that using it a lot uh, creates this continuity, like sonic continuity. Um, that So in the context for that show in particular, it works really well to me to use this thematic material a lot. Um, but yeah, it just depend, depends on the show. But I think, yeah, to answer your original question, I think actually having this consist consistent melodic, you know, thematic material is more freeing than constraining um, as you move through a theory or through a series, but for me, but yeah. Do you remember when you made that discovery? I'm trying to think. It might have been on Gravity Falls, or maybe after that. I don't know. I feel like that that was that was only like the third show I'd done, so I haven't hadn't done a ton of work at that point. I don't know. Maybe somewhere like later in that show, or maybe I was working on another show when I didn't have that theme or have like a theme to work with. I felt like maybe I was struggling because I didn't have like I felt like I was starting from scratch with each cue um, because I didn't have like thematic material to fall back on. Uh, and sometimes it is like, I remember, do remember early on, like, and even now, if I'm starting a project, I, it is stressful when someone's like, we want a theme for this character. I think I'm pretty good at writing themes, but it stresses me out. Like when, when, when this theme doesn't exist yet, like the idea of coming up with a new theme or a palette for someone like that does, I know that in the long term that's going to make my life a lot easier, but uh, yeah, at the beginning, like the pressure to come up with that theme is also often quite stressful for me. I guess especially as well, because right at the beginning, you don't have as strong a sense of the show as you're going to have by the end, and yet you need to come up with a thing that's going to perfectly encompass the entire thing. Yeah, that's that's a real challenge, right? Music, or yeah, music for these shows, like you, 
you want to be describing the world. You, I mean, you want to be informing the world, like the world building of a show. Because I think for animation, you know, the stuff that I do, which is a lot of like kind of fantasy. I mean, I guess I've done a lot of different kind of animation, but um, I think the thing I'm good at maybe is kind of this, this fantasy stuff um, and action stuff. But like, there's this huge opportunity with animation to be a part of the world building. And it's really important to me when I start a project, like I'll spend weeks just choosing instruments, like building a template that I'll work from for the show. And I'll kind of rebuild, like I'll build a whole new orchestra, right? Like all these shows, there's an orchestra, right? But I don't want to have the same sounding orchestra. So I'll pick new, you know, I don't know if you know how much you know about the way you know, composers work in computers, but you have these sample libraries, just like a sound of a violin, right? Or a sound of a trumpet. And there's lots of different ones available. Like you can buy ones from different companies and they all have a different sonic character. So when I start uh, a new show, I'll try to go through my template and mess things up a little bit, pick new, pick a new trumpet for this show, pick new timpani or whatever. So the orchestra has a new flavor that's specific to this show. And then also, you know, you'll go and you'll like pick pads and lead sounds or whatever, like every aspect, every musical aspect, I'll kind of predetermine because another aspect of this is like, you have to write so fast for these shows that you don't want to be, for me personally, I don't, I can't sound design while I'm composing. I want to have all of, most of the sound decisions made, you know, at the beginning. So when I sit down and write for an episode, uh, I'm just writing, you know, I'm not, I'm not like designing the sound of a pad or or whatever, like finding an instrument, it's like the instrument's ready to go. It's like you wouldn't start doing a painting without all the paint. Yeah. You kind of have the tools there. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, perfect. That's a great analogy. Now, at the beginning of these shows, I spend a lot of time like building this kind of sonic world. Um, and then, yeah, so back to your point, it's like, it is stressful. Like at the beginning of a show, it's like, okay, I designed this palette and this world, this sonic world or whatever. I hope it fits the show because I got to start writing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've just been lucky, but for the most part, that's worked out. Like, uh, I like the show. the The thing that I designed has kind of fit and worked for the life of the series. I mean, I mean, there are different shows. You know, like some of these shows, like I mentioned, where they they just want their temp music. You know, playing fast and loose a little more, where you have to reshape your your palette because the, now, okay, this week we need we need to sound like uh, Danny Elfman's Batman. This week it needs to sound like whatever a Hans Zimmer thing. So you're things are shifting more but does it get harder to kind of define that palette to start with the more shows you do because you're almost narrowing down your options a little bit the more tools that you use up yeah i haven't i feel like i haven't i worry about that sometimes like um well how am i gonna make this fresh for this show because i just you know i felt like i put everything into my last one but i use i feel like the each of these shows kind of they have their own they're they're the world that they live in is so distinct i feel like naturally the if you just are, are conscious about it and proactive, then you will come up with something new and, and different, I, I think. I don't know. But I just, I've, every time I've done it, like, so the last big project I did before the, for this one, for Owl House, was this show Glitch Techs. It's all about video games and stuff. Like these kids are like fighting glitches in video games and they wanted to use a lot of chiptune stuff. And like, so the fact that they wanted to use that meant I was going to grab a bunch of those sounds and I was going to mix it with my own taste and orchestral stuff. And that just, just that idea and my own taste led to a palette that I felt like was unique and 
suited the show well. Um, and then with this show, with Owl House, it's like, you know, the ideas, this world, you know, it's this weird fantasy world with witches and stuff. And it's kind of like hell in some ways. And so like, you know, immediately I'm like, oh, maybe some like kind of Baroque instrumentation mixed with orchestral stuff and some kind of weird uh, percussion instruments. Like, I don't know, that's just kind of what came to mind for me. And then um, I put all that stuff together started using this harmonic language that TJ had developed a little bit and um, with my own taste. And it just kind of sounded like a new thing to me. It sounded like fresh and it fit the show. Yeah. If you just approach these things in a kind of uh, a conscious, I don't know, I'm using the, and there's a better word that I'm not finding, but um you know, with some awareness and, and uh, deliberation, I guess, things seem to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like quite a methodical approach. Like what you were saying earlier about your kind of work ethic. It's a very kind of workmanlike approach to it. Like, this is a job that needs done, and I'm going to try and solve it in the most creative way possible. But you kind of have that end point in sight. You know you need to get to this, this fulfilling palette. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, and I think with this type of work, you you have to approach it that way. At least for me, I have to work because... There's so much work to be done in a small period of time. Like you're writing maybe, I mean, I'm only working on one show at a time now. I'm not correct. Like there was a time when I was working on like five shows at once and losing my mind. Five. Yeah. There was a time when I was, I mean, they weren't all happening at exactly the same time, but they were overlapping. And, um, but I was writing, I don't know, like I was responsible for writing maybe 40 minutes of music a week or something like that, which is insane. Um, and it all, it's like, and it needs to be delivered too. It's like not just writing it, then sending it to someone to finish. It's like, a, this is finished mixed music. Um, so, but anyway, so now, but re- these days I'm responsible for maybe 15 to 20 minutes of music a week, which is still a lot. So you need to have your tools in place and need to approach it in a, in a, a methodical way that you can get things done. And I have like pretty, a pretty clear structure with my time and with the way I work. So it's hard for me to not finish. You know what I mean? If I (laughs) sit down in front of my computer at these times every day, um, and you know, and just, and, and don't, you know, only open the session for the show, the episode that I'm working on, don't like get distracted by playing with synthesizers and stuff. I will get the work done, you know, and because of, because of what I've put in place, you know, the strictures and everything. So yeah, uh, at least so far, I haven't missed a deadline. So do you ever feel like you want to change the st- structures sometimes and you kind of want to move the palette a little bit? Do you ever going to get tired of it and want to mix it up a little bit? And if so, how do you kind of do that in an organic way? I mean, there are times like where I feel like the show I was talking about at the beginning, the show that should not be named. Um, <laughs> like I never felt like I found it. I think they, th- the, the showrunners were happy with what we ended up with. They never seemed to be second guessing it, but I never felt like I found it. So I was throughout that process, like trying different things and I would try something new and they'd be like, oh, this doesn't sound like what you've done. Can you go back? And so I'd just have to revert back to the, like, a, there's a couple sounds that were, uh, kind of signature sounds and I, but I, I just never felt like it was strong enough. So yeah, maybe I'll try to like, yeah, maybe change the orchestration a little bit, like change some of the articulations. Like sometimes I'll, there'll be like a, a specific articulation, like, I don't know, string, string pizzicato or something. Like maybe that's something, I don't know, that's uh, frequently I have trouble getting the way I like it. Um, So maybe I'll just 
pick a different string pizzicato or mix different ones together and re-EQ them. So yeah, maybe on the fly, I'll, uh, I'll change out some of the sounds to try to get closer to what I want to do, you know. But usually I feel like by the time I'm like three or four episodes in, I've pretty much found it and um, I don't end up changing things too much once I'm that far along. I guess that kind of parallels the shows a little bit as well. Like again, if you look at something like Gravity Falls, it kind of takes five or so episodes to kind of find its feet a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah, it's definitely true. Yeah, you notice like even you even see the animation change in a show over time or the way they light things. It gets more sophisticated sometimes over the course of a show or something. Has a little bit more of a pop. Yeah. A lot of these kind of shows, these cartoon shows, I guess partially because they're children's shows, often have quite a, a strong kind of bold and eccentric and I guess cartoonish aesthetic to them, which your music complements. Is that kind of how you would naturally express yourself anyway? Do you think your music... Or your self-expression through music kind of has an eccentric edge to it regardless of that? Or is it something that's purely coming from writing for the show? I don't know. Whenever, like if I try to make a down the middle, down the like middle of the road pop song, it never sounds right. You know, it never sounds like a normal pop song. It sounds like my own thing. Like I sent some music to a friend the other day that was like, I'm really into reggaeton (laughs) and I made like some reggaeton songs for for this project and I sent them to this friend and he was saying like, and I thought they were just like straight up normal reggaeton songs. And he was like, these sound so like different and unique. They sound like really different than other. And I was like, I thought they were just normal reggaeton songs. So I think just because part of it is because I, I feel like I, um, I don't know. I don't feel like I have the same skill set as other people. Like I, I'm kind of not good at any instrument. I can play everything a little bit. And I'm like kind of figuring it out. I still feel like I'm figuring it out a lot of the times. Like I'm not, I don't feel like a master at all. So maybe that's part of it is like, uh, there's like a naivete or something that I'm bringing to it, but I don't know. And like the music, I mean, the the only music that I I've released that was like my own was like my band from, you know, 15 years ago, this band called the Meishi. And I mean, that was the group project, but you know, that music's pretty weird and you know, it says some pop elements, but it's pretty weird. Um, I, I, that's not, if I made music for myself right now, that's not what I would make, but that's the only example I have to point to. <laughs> you can kind of see some of it carrying through though. Like it was quite jam packed as well with different ideas in the same way that a cartoon score is quite often kind of overflowing with energy and excitement. Yeah. The kind of energy of that music is well suited to the a cartoon <laughs> Um, fr- frantic cartoon vibe. Do you ever listen to the music when you're composing it without the picture on, or what? what, what or what do you kind of get when you watch it with the picture compared to without? Do you notice different things? Yeah, it's funny because I I rarely like listen to the music without dialogue until like maybe sometimes like years later. Like we're we're putting together a a Gravity Falls vinyl for the score right now. It's almost done, but I hadn't, I hadn't listened to a lot of that music just on its own before. Because I'm also often, again, like I'm working so fast that I don't, I don't sit and like listen to the music on its own because it's, it's functional. You know, it needs to sit under dialogue and that's the way I'm uh, critiquing it. It's like, is this, is this working under dialogue and with, will it work with sound effects on top of it and all this stuff? So I, I don't know. I, I, I probably should listen to it more on its own, but I don't. And yeah, so it's fun sometimes like years later to listen to something and it's like uh, without dialogue. It's like, oh, this is, yeah, this sounds like actually sounds much better than I thought it did because I never listened to it just as music by itself, you know? 
I guess you're a little bit more detached from it at that point as well. You kind of have a little bit more perspective on it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's frustrating like to go back and listen to something you did 10 years ago or maybe like, I don't know, like something I did for, I don't know, whatever, like at the beginning of We Bear Bears or Gravity Falls or something. And like, wow, that sounds really good. I don't know how I made that. And I think it's much better than anything I could do now. You know, it's like I thought I had improved a lot and learned all these new things. But really, you know, what I was doing back then was <laughs> at least as good as what I'm doing now. I haven't really progressed. <laughs> um, yeah. What'd you, what's going on there? Why do you think that is? Because you've obviously grown as a musician, a producer in the meantime. Yeah, I think uh, I think part of it is just like, some kind of weird confirmation bias or just weird or bias towards what you're, you know, bias away from what you're working on now, like anti-recency bias or something like the thing you're working on now, there's no way that it's good because you can't be objective about it because you're too engaged in it. And then that, so you're looking at something from afar that feels like it's not yours anymore. Um, It's like, you're going to perceive it as being better. If I'm listening to something from that I worked on a long time ago, it'll have a totally different palette from what I'm working on now. So it'll sound, there'll be sounds that I'll be like, that you, that you aren't listening to on a daily basis. So they, they're more, maybe they just tickle your ear more. It's like, Oh, that's a cool sound. Um, how come it sounds better than what I'm working on now? It probably doesn't sound better. It's just, you're perceiving it as better because you're not listening to it every day. You know, does it spark new ideas when you hear it back 10 years down the line? Yeah. I mean, often like, I actually, I was listening to something because there's a fan asking for a piece of music from We Bear Bears and I was listening to it and it was like all acoustic guitar, just like layered acoustic guitar. And I almost never make music like that anymore because it's labor intensive and painful. But I was like, I really should make more music like that because this is like, it was really special and I'm not a good guitarist. So when I sit and record music like that, I get very focused and I'm not good at the instrument. So I have like my own kind of touch or whatever that's kind of crappy, but it, it's, it's got its own thing. Um, and it's like, I should really be, I should be making music like that more and using that aspect of my uh, whatever, my oeuvre or my skill set, you know, like, so yeah, sometimes I'll remember stuff like different ways to make music um, or different yeah, different instruments or approaches that I've kind of abandoned and like, oh, I should go back. I should go back to that, you know. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.